Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm fine, um, uh, in, in large part uh, because, um, as, as you well know, and some of our long-term listeners know, um, um, uh, the episodes um, that uh, we've been recording, okay, or we, excuse me, we will be recording, okay, are kind of sort of like the Super Bowl, okay, the World Series, okay, the World Cup of Supreme Court okay watchers right right because it's the wrap-up every year and yes and we um we went uh off the off the trail last year and did a travel thing and people are like yeah but where's the supreme Supreme court (laughs) right (laughs) last year or the year before anyway we did that one year one summer and what we've realized and heard from our listeners is they prefer for the summer to be the wrap-up of the supreme court cases yes yes. and sort of the summary of what's happened so that's what we're what we're yeah wait wait in 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 in, i got to admit (laughs) this kind of sort of blows my mind okay because um, that there's a popular demand for something. something. Yeah, I mean, I'm just like, like oh, okay. Yeah, uh, uh, and uh, you know what? We were, we're responding to your yes, to your commentary and we to are, your suggestions. We we which are those that we read the emails and we do pay attention to the text messages that say, "Hey, when are you going to cover this or when are you going to do this?" Yeah, I mean, so yes, we're and, listening and, and we are responding. And, and what's really fascinating, uh, Nia, to me at least, uh, the the emails and the text messages I receive are like. Um, can't wait to hear you know you and Nia talk, talk about, about this the, case or yeah, yeah you know in some of the the emails get a little snarky about uh, the reporting uh, uh, and, and discussions of these cases um, in other media sources. I was just like, well, okay then. Um, yeah, uh, and we will uh, say we try to be as fair as we can, although we are both opinionated about many of these cases. Sure. And you will hear us exp- express that, uh, we hope, civilly, because that's what the mo- the behavior yes. we're trying to model. Yes, um, yeah. but nevertheless, but uh, that's what's going to be forthcoming. In, in what, the next few episodes for the, this summer. Yeah. And we're not exactly sure how many. Could yeah. be three, could be five, because we're not yet done. Yeah, we're not with, done. Yeah, with yes. where the yeah. court is taking us. Thanks, yeah. court. Yes. Um, and I know that some people complain about we don't know what order they come in. Uh, neither do we. We don't yeah. know what order, and I'm pretty sure the Supremes don't know what order. I think they just wake up one Tuesday and say, "What do you think? Should we just release this one and this one and blow people's minds?" And that's pretty much how that goes. The the metaphor that always comes to my mind is being Chief Justice. In regards to decision days for the court, must be like herding cats, right? Who's ready? Yeah, trying to get everybody to get their shoes and their coats on and get out the door. The door, right? Right. But you've got eight people that you're trying to get into the into the Ford Explorer to go to a concert, and it's just going badly. Badly, and 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 I'm always reminded these are, you know, nine really smart people, (laughs) Right. right? And they've been told that they've been smart most of their lives, right? Yes. So they don't respond well to pushing pressure, pressure nudging, yeah, touching, yeah, yeah, yeah. None okay. of that. They don't no, want any of that. Yeah, yeah. None I'll of give the, you my I'll give you my majority opinion when I'm good and well ready. Or the dissents. Right. right? Or I'm the not, concurrences. Yeah. Let's I'm, not leave anybody out. Yeah. They right? all do it. Yeah, they all do it, right? Okay. Um, <laughs> I'll get it to you when I'm done. Ugh. Okay, I mean, I, I uh, of you recent know that it's of re- drive drive him drive, crazy. yeah, it's going to drive him crazy. Even though he is the father, okay, of of um, uh, well, I mean, heck, one's now in college. I can't believe, okay, he's getting that old. Okay, Robert, okay, is the father of two children, right? But it, you know, it, it just reminds me of how difficult it is. Okay, to get really smart people to go ahead 
and, and do things on a particular timeline. And right? a thing we're going to touch on much later in one of the other episodes is the eight divergence of these people. It's not like yes. It's not like you can get all the conservatives to agree to get into the car and then all the liberals to agree to get into the car. Sometimes they'll be like, I don't want to get in the car. I want to ride in the front seat. I want to ride in the back seat. I want to sit next to Thomas. I don't want to sit next to Tom. Right? Like, yes. It's, it's, oh my gosh. It's <laughs> of, of recent memory. Once again, we feel bad for you, J Rob. Because yes. you got yes. a tough job, man. <laughs> of recent memory, the only two justices that I'm aware who were hell bent on getting their opinions out quickly were Justices Byron White and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Ruth Bader Ginsburg insisted on getting the first majority opinion out of like every term. Right. And 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 Set Byron, the tone. yeah. And Byron White had a rule within his chambers. If I've been assigned a majority opinion, we get a draft circulated to all the other justices within 10 days. Which is great. I mean, yes. we we love, but that's not yes. how it's working yeah. these days. The other justices? No, right? Well, and they've also been, they've also weathered an ethics scandal, which we're going to talk about, about much later, later in one of the observation uh, uh, discussions. Yes. Um, but right now, we're going to get into the cases. So listeners, um, uh, this is the first of at least two, possibly three uh, podcast episodes that wrap up the Supreme Court's 2022-23 term, right, um, which began the first Monday of October of 2022, um, and we are recording this in June, which, as we've previously discussed, uh, for Supreme Court, if you will, aficionados, uh, June is kind of sort of like our Super Bowl, right? Because this is where the Supreme Court hands down like all their big decisions. Yeah, they do their mic drop and then they leave town. Yes. But so what they're doing now is they're ones where there hasn't been a huge amount of crabbiness or yes, and 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 as a lot of public drama. You, I, you know, mm -hmm. you were saying to me earlier off uh, off recording. The vast majority of the Supreme Court's decisions over all the years, not just this year, but over all the years, are are not close decisions. They're nine oh eight one seven twos, right? They're, yes. they're very yeah. clear yeah. where the court is going and what the court is doing. But that's not the ones people hear about in the news. They hear about the controversial ones that are five four or six three, because those are the ones that are politically fraught. Yes. And so they and, will drive a stronger po polarization of the court. Court, yeah. I mean, the justices in many ways do reflect the, the kind of people. Uh, yeah. Turns the, out the, they're people. Yeah. The, the, the divisiveness <laughs> that you see in the, in the larger in society. Folk, right. Yeah. And in, 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 in among, you know, um, uh, elected officials. But Nia, you mentioned something before we get to some of these specific cases. You mentioned something just a few moments ago. This particular Supreme Court term, okay, has um, been somewhat unusual because the court took a long time to issue any decision, right? Interminable. I mean, well, yes. You mentioned it in, in an episode uh, in early spring of 2023. Mm -hmm. Which which was called slow SCOTUS. Like yes. we're like they're never going to really. And then of course the next week they're like, ta-da, here's three. Yeah. But then they went quiet again. Quiet again, yes. And 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 it's what's really remarkable about that is. And and again, for those of us who follow the court with some regularity, we are predicting that you know later on in the month of June. You're going to see some really divided Supreme Court decisions simply because that typically reflects the fact that so many of the justices want to write right. and the court doesn't issue a decision until all of the justices have completed their various opinions, right? So, they, so you get your concurrences, your dissents, they have to get all that together. 
And then they have they... to make sure everybody's done. Now, is everybody done? Has everybody yes. vented yes. their spleen? Yes. Okay. Well, then we're going to release it all. Yes. And, and that's, so that's part of why uh, those well, yeah, lag, yeah, yeah. I think. But I have a theory about the other part of why they lag. What's that? There's a writer's strike. <laughs> right now there's a writer's strike there's not a lot of television going on there's not a lot of excitement going on like the supremes right now this this could be their big shiny moment in the sun i'm just saying they'll get a lot of attention because there's nothing else to watch i thought you were going with in a different direction with that nia <laughs> that the supreme court was taking so long to write because um, they were being sympathetic to, <laughs> to the writer strike out in Hollywood. Oh, right? yeah, no, no, I'm just saying <laughs> it's like, it's like, um, well, and the, one of the reasons I think June is always so big is rerun season. Remember television used yeah. to be, television yeah. used to end in May and then it would start yeah. the reruns. I'm just saying there, I think there's a tie here somewhere, but oh, then okay. again, I have the Pink Panther uh, theme song running through my head right now. So Wow. I, yeah, who yeah, knows yeah, what I'm, yes, I mean, my that, thought process is. And, 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 and for listeners, which by the way, if anybody's never watched a Pink Panther cartoon, you should go do that. They're pretty yes. fun. Yeah. Well, in, in the movies. Okay. Uh, <gasps> oh, with my the, goodness. With the great Peter Sellers. Okay? And then with the great Steve Martin. Yes. Yes. Like two yeah, very they, different they, approaches. Approaches, but yeah. Very, it's one Inspector of the. Inspector Clouseau. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of the a few remakes. But anyways. Great character. Great okay. Character. Let's. Can we start with something um, that I think is complex, but also interesting for art students at VCU? Oh, yeah. Uh, And and, uh, uh, what Nia is referencing here is uh, a a case uh, that was decided um, uh, the middle of May. Uh, Oral arguments were heard in October. Okay. And this is the Andy Warhol Foundation versus Goldsmith. Uh, Nia, do you recall uh, what the, the case was about? So Goldsmith is a photographer. Yes. Took a bunch of pictures for Vanity Fair, Fair. or Cosmopolitan. One of the one of the big. I think magazines. it was Vanity. I think it was Vanity Fair. And, and was paid for those who, pictures because that's photographers get paid, right? They. And they who were was the subject? Prince. Ah, yes. Prince, the musician Prince. Yes. Um, R.I.P. Yes. Uh, one, one of our favorites, by the way, on the podcast. Uh, both oh, Nia, we, yeah, who, both Nia. Who doesn't love Prince? Crazy people. Okay, but, um, you know, uh, and, and again, you know, as, as children of the 1980s. Oh, uh, I mean, Purple he, Rain. And, yeah, I mean, and, yes, uh, um, he was. He was uh, one of our statement musicians. Yes, he, he was definitely part of the soundtrack of our youth. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. So uh, Goldsmith took pictures. She took pictures of him. They paid her for the picture. Yes. But then, then they wanted to do something later on about Prince. They wanted to do another um, uh, spread or story about Prince. I don't know if it was his death or what. But anyway, they asked Andy Warhol to provide them with artwork for it. And he used the Goldsmith picture, but then he did stuff to it, right? Like he colored it in a different way. He Andy Warholized it because Andy Warhol did that with a lot of things. Quite infamously with the Campbell soup can, but, but you know, but yes. no one paid Goldsmith. That's during that second round of, of yes. artwork. Yes. Andy Warhol did not pay her and, Vanity Fair did not pay her, even though his work was based based on her photograph. Is that more or less? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because basically what what it was, um, it was a copyright dispute. Um, And uh, on previous podcast episodes uh, with our colleague, um, um, uh, 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 Hillary um, uh, Meyer, right? Miller. Miller. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, We talked about the fact that there is an exception in the United States copyright laws uh, known as the fair use. Okay. Um, but um, uh, Goldsmith argued that um, um, uh, 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 they should be paid because it didn't satisfy the fair use exception of the copyright laws. Okay. Um, and um, the United States Supreme Court agreed in a seven to two decision 
uh, with Goldsmith um, uh, that um, uh, the, the fair use defense to license a derivative version of the photograph, okay, um, um, uh, did not satisfy the language in the law. So this is a statutory interpretation case. Yes. So somebody should have paid Goldsmith, basically. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Um, and, and I can see I can see where Hillary might be torn by that because part of derivative use is is you know should you be able to sample music should you be able to do all these things right part of that is how we create new things yes but by the same token how do we give credit to those the originator who, of yes. of the art um, one of the things that people may or may not know about this podcast is that it is open access. Yeah, We welcome the reuse of this podcast for other purposes. If people want to take it and use it, we just ask for attribution. We don't want your money. We want people to know who made the original work. Yeah, because as, and, acad and, because as academics, I mean, and, and, and this was one of our guiding philosophies when we created the podcast, um, we wanted to bring people into our enthusiasm for – our, you know, shall we say, um, great love of, great love of, oftentimes cynical, sarcastic take <laughs> on, okay, the federal government there, and all of there, its there's documents and phenomenon, <laughs> etc. Right, right, basically um, the federal government and its attic. Okay, but nevertheless, okay, if you're a commercial uh, photographer like Goldsmith. That's how you make your living. See, is, this yes. podcast is not how we make our living. Living, no. This right? podcast is a joy that we do because we enjoy it. Yes, okay. Um, but we are not making – in fact, we make no money from this podcast. It actually costs the university money yes. for us to make this podcast, but they are gracious and allow us to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, I can see where she would say, excuse me, hello, I have been left out of this. Um, and now that Andy Warhol is dead, but his foundation is continuing to – distribute and license his work yes i can see where she's trying to protect her original photographs so. i mean particularly because it, again in the art world okay you know warhol prints okay be, well we just had a murder over that not too long long ago, ago yeah so i mean you know you know rhode island i mean we're, you're talking about significant amounts of money right okay but if the source if you will inspiration for the Warhol, you know, derivative of these photographs of prints is generating a significant amount of money, and that's the way you make your money, you know, as an artist, then you're going to want to cut, right? I mean, and in, in, in we see this, for instance, in regards to music, right? Okay, um, you know, at the time of this podcast recording, we're about a month beyond um, a trial where, um, you know, a uh, well-known singer-songwriter Ed Sheeran, okay, um, was sued um, by a songwriter for, you know, who claimed that, you know, for one of Sheeran's more popular songs, which made Sheeran a whole bunch of money, okay, was, you know, derivative of this other songwriter's, you know, effort, right? And if you're a songwriter, okay, somebody buying the license to your song, and if they use it, could mean significant money for you. Right. Right. You know, that's the way, you know, you know, you know, there are, you know, you know, there are well-known stories of, you know, behind the scenes songwriters writing songs that were made popular by other singer songwriters. And they were able to go ahead and buy a home or be able to like, you know, put send their food, kid to college, college or, right. you know, all put, those kinds of things, you know, right? put that's... food on the, you know, that's how they make their living. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and we discussed this previously uh, with Hillary. Okay. Because, you know, these are complicated issues. Right. If you're trying to advance knowledge, the fair use exception of the copyright laws is essential. On the other hand, one of the purposes of the copyright laws is to encourage people, okay, financially to be creative. Right, because it protects their rights to that creative yeah, endeavor. endeavor. That's right. So that's one case that was already decided. And, and again, as uh, Nia, as you pointed out, the, the vote wasn't really even close. It was seven to two, right? Um, so we have a – oh, sorry. 
well, where, where I was going next was um, uh, there were a, a number of cases that you and I discussed while, while they were being submitted to the court or right. oral arguments had already been heard. And we would be remiss not to follow up on uh, cases concerning social media uh, companies and their liability for how their platforms are used. Yeah, we're not going to go into a big, long explanation of Gonzalez v. Google or Twitter v. Uh, Tomna, Yeah, because we did that in Season 12, Episode 16. So if you want a big background on those cases, um, basically, I would say in a nutshell, it's can the platforms be held accountable for how users how users use their platforms and cause harm potentially to other people right yes are okay. they responsible for third party publishing yeah third on party, their yeah third party usage of their platforms and basically nia the supreme court said um most specifically in the gonzalez case um um no uh the twitter case uh, writing for a unanimous court, Justice Thomas went ahead and said that the allegations are not sufficient to establish that Twitter aided and abetted ISIS in carrying out a terrorist attack. Um, and then the court decided after the Twitter decision, uh, the court remanded the Gonzalez case back to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals to reconsider its previous ruling against Google, all right? So basically both Twitter and Google, and for that matter, the larger import is social media platforms, at least according to the Supreme Court, cannot be held legally liable. For that they didn't, that they don't aid and abet. And abet. That's right, yeah. Right, I, I don't, yeah. they can probably be held legally liable for some things. Like if yeah. they allow child pornography, for instance, on their platform or something like that, they probably could be held accountable for that. But Thomas's opinion was so narrow that we never got to the issue of whether or not the Communication Decency Act, Section 2 kicks in. Right. Kicks in. <laughs> so basically, the court issued such a narrow decision that we still have a number of unanswered questions, you know, kind of sort of like, Neil, what you just mentioned. So in some ways, one of the ways that the court can get you a unanimous decision is if it's a really narrow decision. Right, if right? they hyper-focus. Yes, okay. And in this instance, they hyper-focused on, yes. on Twitter's liability yeah. of aiding and abetting ISIS and said, no, that's not what they were doing. Yes, but, that, but there's still many questions to be answered about social media. Um, I, and I and you mentioned uh, off recording way back when we talked about that that eventually TikTok will come up in this question as well. Can you ban TikTok? Can you write what what are the what are the issues surrounding that? Which for listeners that'll come up eventually, and we'll talk about it when it comes up. Speaking of another case that we previously discussed. Um, and this uh, was decided the day we are recording. This actually was decided the day before. Jack Daniels Property versus VIP Products. And this goes back to a copyright case. Uh, trademark case. Trademark Tra case. Sorry, yes. Trademark case. And, and, and again, for our faithful listeners, you might be like, hey, wait a minute here. That sounds familiar. Well, we did discuss, <laughs> again, with our colleague Hillary, um, uh, see, season 12, episode 21. This is the infamous Bad Spaniels case. Right. So, so VIP Products decided to go ahead and make a <laughs> pa parody of the infamous Jack Daniels bottle, right? Right. And they made a series of chew toys, okay? <laughs> about Called ba Bad Spaniels. Bad Spaniels. And it actually has something about number two on the carpet. Like it's yes, a... Yes. yes. Because it's Jack a full on parody. Yeah, because Jack Daniels is, you know, old number, okay, and right. and in VIP products was, was like old number two, bad spaniels, right? Um, so 
there were a couple of issues in this case, and the previous podcast episode really delved into them. But basically, um, uh, uh, the, the court was asked to look at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruling that um, uh, 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 that in effect, VIP products were legally and constitutionally protected because they were making a parody of the Jack Daniels trademark. And if that was upheld by the Supreme Court, then Jack Daniels' lawsuit against VIP products, okay, would basically mean that Jack Daniels would lose. Well, the Supreme Court, in a unanimous vote, okay, ruled in favor of Jack Daniels, right? And right now, free speech advocates are kind of sort of upset with the Supreme Court because basically, okay, the court is saying that the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals used the wrong standard, okay, that the law in question, which allows, if you will, companies, individuals to get trademarks, okay, for their goods, their services, heck, and even some cases, expressions, okay, um, uh, uh, the, the law in question, okay, should be read very narrowly in terms of allowing parodies, okay? Um, so the case is going to go back to the trial court, um, and, you know, so the substantive issues, okay, have not yet been addressed. This was all about what is the appropriate standard to use in these types of cases, right? And remember, we've done an episode on tests yes. of the Supreme Court. That was one of our summer SCOTUS episodes. Yes. Actually, it was two. It was a two-parter yes. of different tests that they use. And they are saying you to the lower court, you use the wrong test. That's right. Yep. Yes. So once again, they have reached out and smacked the back of the head of the Ninth Circuit Court. Yes. And, yeah. And for um, uh, our listeners who are, uh, who are uh, n uh, don't have a lot of knowledge about uh, the federal appeals courts, there are certain federal appeals courts because they are so populated with <laughs> judges that like to push the envelope, issue rulings that frequently get reviewed and overturned by the Supreme Court, one of which is the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which covers cases that originate, federal cases that originate in California, Washington, Oregon, Hawaii, Alaska, okay? It's, the, it's, it's considered the most liberal, isn't it, of the district courts? For the longest time, it was. Some scholars now believe, interestingly enough, the circuit court where we reside, Nia, the fourth circuit has become the most liberal. Okay. Really? Okay. Okay. But again, this is all predicated on the the judges are appointed by certain presidents, right? Right. You know, so for years the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals was dominated by judges appointed by Democratic presidents, not surprisingly. Many of their rulings were liberal, and as the Supreme Court became more conservative, the court seemingly in, was enjoying taking appeals of Ninth Circuit Court rulings and overturning them, okay? Um, uh, the Trump administration appointed a fair number of judges, so the balance is, I wouldn't say equal, because it's not equal, but it's less obvious the liberal, <laughs> okay, leaning of the Ninth Circuit. But this is very customary, right? And again, the vote here in this case, Neil, was nine to zero. The majority right. opinion was written by um, uh, Justice Kagan. I mean, by no stretch is she a conservative, right? I mean, she's, she's considered part of the, you know, liberal you know, side of the Supreme Court, okay? Um, there was one other case that dealt with an issue you and I previously discussed on this podcast. Um, and I have a feeling you and I are probably going to be uh, uh, exhibiting the civil part of our civil <laughs> discourse, okay? 
the case I'm talking about is Sackett versus the Environmental Protection Agency. Um, oh, first of all, hi, Tim. This case is for you. Yes. Tim asked us if we were going to mention the, the WOTUS. Yes. Um, the Waters of the United States. That's what yes. WOTUS stands for. Yes. Um, so in this case, uh, the... and, and for anybody who you might also recall, we did the Colorado River. We talked about the Colorado River and water rights in terms of that, as well as we've mentioned other water rights in in uh, other episodes. Yeah, we had, we had an entire podcast episode, uh, listeners, about WOTUS. Right. Okay? Um, um, and what constitutes a lake and whether it's connected yes. to something. Yes. Right, yes. right. So, the drama with the waters of the United, United States. States. Yeah. In this case, uh, the court was considering the proper test for determining if wetlands are, quote unquote, waters of the United States under the Clean Water Act. Okay. And thus the EPA's ability to regulate. That's right. Because, said, said wetlands. Because... because because EPA the, can't regulate things that are on private. It, remember, we discussed if a river doesn't touch another river, another body of water, right? If you have a stream on your property that is contained on your property, then the EPA can't do anything. Unless the EPA can go ahead and show a court that it fits the definition of waters of the United States. Right. And that became the issue in the Sackett case, the Sacketts wanted to, uh, uh, to build their dream home, okay? And they started to uh, backfill a section of their property to build their dream home. And the EPA said, well, you can't because it was a wetland that is part of the waters of the United States. Now, this is the second time this case has come to the United States Supreme Court. The first time was nearly a decade ago because the EPA said the Sacketts couldn't sue them in federal court because the EPA's ruling was not final. Well, the Sacketts were like, <laughs> you say it's not final, but we can't build our dream home. <laughs> we can't build our dream home. So that feels pretty final, <laughs> final to us, right? And the Supreme Court agreed with the Sacketts and sent the case back down to the lower courts to settle the substantive legal issue. Well, this is the case about the substantive legal issue, right? Which is what defines waters of the United States, right? Because if you have a broad definition, then the EPA and by extension, the Army Corps of Engineers has much more latitude to regulate private property be behavior, right? right? If it's a narrow definition, then the EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers has less of an opportunity to protect wetlands. And so in NEA, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of what definition, broad or narrow? Um, narrow. They yeah. ruled that the EPA lacked the ability to regulate the petitioner's property. Property, that's right. And this is what was the is talking about us being civil. Yes, because, because Augie believes in the private property and the whole you shouldn't be able to regulate because he has that problem at his house <laughs> with the county <laughs> making him mow a chunk of his yard that they actually won't let him build anything on it. I can't, uh, yeah, I can't build on it. it. And it's a yes. whole thing, right? Yes. And yes. I am like, protect <laughs> the wetlands, protect the owls, protect the frogs. And Augie's like, property rights, property rights and ownership. And why would I buy this if I didn't think it was going to be mine? So I get that we should have a, that we are having a civil discussion. We are not calling each other names. I think Augie... <laughs> I understand Augie's point of view, right? I understand the point of view of it's my property. I should be able to do what I want on it. I also understand the EPA's view of this is the only place this frog lives. And if you backfill it, yeah. it's, it's going to destroy this species or whatever, right? Like there's this weird tension there. 
And yeah, I and, get it. I, I and, just, and, and, I and come there, on the EPA side and Augie comes down more, I think, on the, the property private owner side. property yeah. owner side. And so we have agreed to be civil about it. Well, but um, you know, Nia, you just that's used, how you have discourse in this. That's world. right, and, and and what's also fascinating is Nia, you used the adjective just a few moments ago, awkward. The vote in this case was nine to zero. All nine of the justices believe that the EPA, okay, lacked the ability to regulate the Sackett's property, but they disagreed on why. Okay, on why, <laughs> right? Because that's how sometimes how they work. I I talk to students about this all the time. I'm like, you have to read the concurring opinions. Concurring opinions always say we got to the right answer, but we got there in the wrong Wrong way. way. And it was funny because uh, the the majority opinion in this case uh, was written by Alito, right? And Alito just comes out and says um, the, the Supreme Court in the Rapinos case, which was a previous case about the definition of WOTUS, right? Okay, Justice Scalia's opinion was correct, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, only three other justices agreed with Scalia in the Rapinos case. The fifth vote was Justice Kennedy, and Kennedy had a much broader definition of waters of the United States, which a lot of lower federal courts had been using. And in the concurrence written by Brett Kavanaugh, Justice Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh was just like, we don't need to address which definition of waters of the United States is correct, okay? We can just agree that the EPA mistreated the Sackets and just move on, right? (laughs) So So the concurrence is an attempt to say, this is a larger discussion. That needs to happen not in the courts, Court, but more than likely in the United States Congress. Right? right. They need to come up with a better definition of what they mean by waters of the United, United States. States. That's right. Okay. Kavanaugh has done that on more than one occasion, right? Oh, on yeah. Yeah. On occasion, he has said, you know, this isn't our job. Yeah. Well, our, it, this it, is it, the Congress's job. And you can really tell the influence of his former boss because Kavanaugh clerk for Kennedy, Justice Kennedy. And Kennedy was infamous for writing concurring opinions, which would minimize the scope of the majority opinion, right? I mean, Kennedy was infamous for this, right? And it just drives the other justices up a wall, whether, (laughs) whether they're, you know, conservative or liberal, because Kennedy's offering, you know, these well, you know, uh, you know, a more appropriate way to look at this is, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, and of course, Alito's is like, no. Okay. If the United States Congress has a problem with how we are defining waters of the United States, well, they can rewrite the law. They can but here's, here's the rule. And Kennedy was just like, no, we can, <laughs> can't we just agree that the EPA went too far? Can't we just do that? So it's really odd. <clears throat> Alito is offering a broad majority opinion with a narrow definition of WOTUS, whereas Kennedy is offering Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh. not Kennedy. Yeah, yeah. Kavanaugh is saying, let's have a narrow decision, okay, and leave the definition, okay, to somebody else. Again, that's, it's like, you know, it's a really interesting way to look at how these justices offer this juxtaposition, right? And it really does capture, listeners, a fundamental debate in American society, even today, which is, okay, how do we protect the environment while also protecting property rights? And when you come up with environmental legislation, okay, um, Groups on both sides typically talk over and around one another because they're unwilling to go ahead and acknowledge, as Nia and I have, right? Okay. You know, I understand where Nia is coming from. I mean, and I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. I mean, one of the main, when when they say the pursuit of happiness, 
right, in the founding documents, what they meant was property rights. Yeah, John Locke was pretty clear. His definition of happiness was private property. Right. right? So, I mean, that's a fundamental building block of the United States. By the same token, one person's water is not – sorry. Well, and and I'm also well aware of the importance of wetlands to protecting the environment. I mean, and it's not just for endangered species, right? Right. I mean, we're we're talking about safe water, okay? A fundamental element that all of us, whether human, like beings, to have. <laughs> human beings or animals, we can't live without. Right. Okay? So fascinating case, fascinating case. I think we have a couple other cases we wanted to go ahead and get to here in this particular podcast episode. And I think we should leave the big one until the very end. There is one case that is near and dear to me simply because I used to do construction work. And uh, there, is, there is a long line of construction workers in my family. Okay. And we did not discuss this one earlier. So no, this we is a not. new case for us. This is yes. Glacier Northwest versus the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. Yes. Okay. Um, and it was argued in January of 23. Yes, and it was decided uh, just a couple weeks ago in June. So what was the issue? So the union decided to go on strike, okay? But the day they went on strike, they decided to do so after a construction company had mixed and placed cement into trucks, which caused significant property damage. For those of you who are not uh, uh, don't have a lot of experience working with cement, okay, right. okay, when a construction company is about ready to send a cement truck to a job site, okay, they have a limited amount of time to mix the cement, okay, and the reason why, if you get behind a cement truck. That it's okay. spinning. It's spinning. Is, is keep to, continuing to mix. Yeah, to keep it fluid, right? Because right. if it doesn't, guess what it hardens into? Cement. Cement, which <laughs> makes then basically the cement is stuck in the truck. Right. And getting so, it out would be, so I, you dam- I assume, involves jackhammers and all yeah, kinds so of So you stuff. damage the truck. Right. But then you also, because of environmental laws, you then have to properly dispose of the cement, okay? So this becomes rather costly, right? Yeah. So, and one could argue that they were doing that in order to force the hand of the of of of, of, of the Gla- company. Yeah, of Glacier Northwest. So the company tried to sue in state court for damages from the union, but. The Washington state court system said the lawsuit was precluded by one of the, you know, best known New Deal laws, the National Labor Relations Act. The National Labor Relations Act, okay, basically holds that um, uh, unions can't be sued if their strike causes economic damage because that can be an effective tool to do what you just described, Nia, which is to force companies to negotiate in good faith with the union. Right. Okay. But the court, okay, and this was um, uh, somewhat divided. Um, uh, No, wait a minute. It was eight to one. The vote in this case was eight to one, Nia. Okay. The court held that the the holdout. I'm going to look and see. Go ahead. Justice Brown Jackson. Ah. Her dissenting opinion was twice as long (laughs) as the majority opinion in this case. I kid you not. I think her dissent was like nearly 37 pages. And the the majority opinion, okay, was 16. (laughs) Okay. Oh, so Justice Coney Barrett wrote the opinion. This yes. is one of our early opinions from her. We haven't seen a huge number from her so far. Yeah. Um, so basically, the court held that the National Labor Relations Act did not preempt 
the company's um, state lawsuit um, um, because the union failed to take reasonable precautions to avoid foreseeable and imminent damage to the property, right? Because one of the important case facts in this case was that the union was told by the company, we've already mixed and we have placed cement in the trucks. And then Then, they walked out. Then Uh, they walked out. So what they should have done was was work that day. Or, and then... And then said, we're going on strike strike tomorrow. tomorrow. Don't mix any more cement. Yes, because that still would have caused economic hardship. Right, it still would have brought... Glacier Northwest to the table, but table. it wouldn't have damaged the trucks. It wouldn't have damaged the, the cement, okay, okay. et cetera, Wouldn't et cetera. have wasted all that yes. stuff, I yes. see. Okay. okay. Um, but, I mean. So that's kind of limiting the union, isn't it? You know, oh, yes, it is. I mean, this is, you know, this is like the third or fourth decision of the Roberts Court in the last roughly 15 to 18 years where the court has uh, limited, if you will, unions i'm having mixed feelings about this Winagi. oh yeah because I mean, yeah because part of me is like no the union shouldn't have done that that's not cool to do that to your employer especially if you want to have any kind of relationship afterwards to destroy their trucks i mean i would fire every single one of those people just because of the irritation of you got to be kidding me you just caused me you cost me thousands or millions depending on how many trucks there were i don't know but but there's another part of me that's like, yeah, but if unions can't walk out in order to force those yeah, I mean, kinds from, of behaviors, then how do we make them come to the table? Like, and, and this is part of the struggle for me yeah. because, because one of the key phrases in the National Labor Relations Act is negotiating good faith. Right. Right. I understand the value of, of walking out Okay, by unions. Because that's the only way you're going to go ahead and get good okay, faith. Yeah, it's the only yeah, way you're going to get them to, them the to the table. On the other hand, you can't accuse a company of negotiating in bad faith when you turn around <laughs> and destroy <laughs> their, their yeah. Okay, right. okay, that doesn't strike me as a def, you know part of the definition of negotiating in good faith. Right. I think what you suggested would have been more appropriate, which is. We're going to work, work today, today, but announce as the workday ends. We're not if, working tomorrow. We're not working tomorrow if we don't have a substantive negotiation uh, session tonight. Right. Okay. Um, so don't mix up any cement because if you do, it's not our problem. It's like, not our problem. Yes. Right. Because you know, we will have told you we're not doing that. Yeah. We have given um, you warning, which, by the way, part of the National Labor Relations Board regulations in regards to negotiating a good faith, is that the union has the right to walk out as long as they do what to their employer? Let them know in advance they're going to walk out. Well, and it comes back to endangering either property or lives or whatever. Like if doctors yeah. are going to walk out of a hospital, <laughs> yeah, you want to know that you want to know that 24 hours in advance so you can figure out what you're going to do with your worst off patients or whatever. So yeah, yeah that's a know, weird, that yeah. one, I, I actually, I hate to say, but I kind of agree with the court. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I think and, that and, and, that's, and, yeah, I struggled with that one. I got to, there should be able yeah. to be a lawsuit because there should be able to be a discussion about whether you can actually do that and whether it's moral or ethical. Yeah. Um, so what's our last case, Manfredo? Oh, this one was the big one. And this is the, so far, and again, we we still have a whole bunch of cases to be handed down by the court. But so far, this has been the shocker of the Supreme Court term. And can I just say? Yes. This one also, people thought it was going to go one way, like they were convinced. Yes, yes. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. They had already written editorials and had them ready to go and all of that got trashed yes not how it went yes okay the 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 case we're talking about is allen versus milligan um and And we've not talked about it before no we haven't 
And this case concerns what well-known federal law? Uh, Voting Rights Act. This is the, this is, the question is whether the state of Alabama's 2021 redistricting plan for seven seats in the United States House of Representatives violated Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. And I will tell you now that everybody in the world thought that the Supremes were going were gonna to find for Alabama, and they were going to say there's nothing wrong with the map. And that's not what happened, is it? No, it's not what happened. Um, uh, the vote was five to four, and the Supreme Court held that those challenging the redistricting plan had a reasonable likelihood of success that Alabama's redistricting plan violated Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. What Alabama did with the redistricting plan was they basically carved out only one seat of their seven House of Representatives seats to be a majority of the voters in that district minority. Right. And, and according to the Even though the population of Alabama is slightly over 20%. So if you do the math, at least two of the seats, possibly you three. could argue three, but at least two of the seats should have been majority minority voters. Um, and uh, and the, the way they do that is by grouping. Yes. They group yeah. um, parts that they know are more uh, uh, minority voters yes. into chunks so that it cuts their vote in other areas. It cuts down their ability to bring up candidates and encourage candidates of uh, yes. minority status. Yeah. I mean, in basically the Republican Party in Alabama went ahead and argued we're gonna need um, we're gonna need six white people on the on the House of Representatives, and we'll let one um, African American serve. And and well, people I mean, in, and and the and and what 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 the Republican Party argued in in Alabama was we didn't use race. We just went ahead and employed a redistricting or um, a map making computer software where we didn't use race, we went ahead and used other variables because the, 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 the GOP in Alabama said um, our reading of Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act is that race cannot be used to discriminate. Well, we didn't use race at all. The challengers went ahead and said, but that doesn't make any sense. When we know historically the Supreme Court has said, okay, that um, uh, uh, the Voting Rights Act, okay, means this, that there should be a rough, if you will, proportionality of majority-minority voters in the districts, right? And basically, this is where Roberts and Kavanaugh end up joining the liberals, because for Roberts, a Supreme Court precedent about how to interpret the Voting Rights Act needed to be maintained. So this was a statutory precedent that the court had upheld. And by the way, the precedent goes back to the 1980s, right? Right. Goes back to the 1980s. So you had Roberts writing for the majority, joined by Kavanaugh and the three liberals, okay, and then the other four conservatives, and there were a number of opinions from them, Clarence Thomas, Gorsuch, I, and Alito. I'm assuming that Thomas's argument would be this is a states' rights issue. Well, the, no, the Voting Rights Act itself is, a prob is problematic because – Well, for Thomas – the issue is the Supreme Court's precedent that Roberts relied upon, okay, has an, wrong. has an interpretation of the Voting Rights Act that would place the Voting Rights Act in conflict with the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. Ah, okay. okay? Yeah, okay. Um, so for Thomas, it's not so much about states' rights as it is if we're going to interpret Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act this way, then it's in conflict with the Equal Protection Clause. So then, therefore, 
Section two of the Voting Rights Act is unconstitutional. Gotcha. Okay. And that and that's where many of the commentators thought it would go. That's where they thought it would go. Because the Roberts Court had already gutted another section of the Voting Rights Act, Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, in the infamous Shelby versus Holder case, okay, from about a decade ago. So that's why they were all very, very fearful about this case, was the Roberts Court already went ahead and said one section of the Voting Rights Act was unconstitutional, okay? Um, Is this case going to give them an opportunity to say that about Section 2? And Roberts was like, no, we already got a controlling precedent here. And the Republican Party of Alabama did not convince us that we should change our mind. So the redistricting uh, is more than likely in violation of the Voting Rights Act. But that was the shocker because, and again, this is one of those times where Roberts, the institutionalist, okay, kicks in and he's just like, yeah, we don't have to reinvent the wheel here. I mean, we've already pruned the Voting Rights Act. If we're going to do it, we're going to do any more pruning. Okay. We're going to need a better argument than what the Republican Party of Alabama gave us. So here we are. Here we are. And so what you saw in the headlines were shocking decision yes. from the, yes. right? You know, um, first of all, can we, can we wrap up this episode with saying you should never be shocked by what the Supreme Court does? Yes. The Supreme Court almost always telegraphs what they're going to do. In this particular instance, the it was a little gray. I, yeah. I admit that yeah, it was yeah, a little yeah. gray. But for the most part, if you listen to the questions that they ask during oral argument, argument, yeah, oral arguments, yeah, you will you will have an idea of where they're going to go. Yeah, Lena Kagan was all about that bad spaniels. She oh had many feelings. Oh, oh yes, and boy, did were they known, right? Like, it, 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 and 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 I will I, I'll go give you another example, the the Warhol versus Goldsmith case. What was fascinating. And you could see this in the oral arguments, was that Justice Sonia Sotomayor wrote the majority opinion, but the lead dissent was Kagan. And you could have predicted that if you had listened to the oral arguments or read the oral argument transcript, because their questions reflected two different conceptions, okay, of of, of the copyright. Of derivative work and copyright. Yeah. 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 I mean, they – you were like, are they even on the same planet, right? <laughs> and, and by the way, okay, in listeners, if you want to see justices taking jabs at one another verbally in their opinions, read Justice Sotomayor's majority opinion in the Warhol case, and then read Kagan's dissent, Okay. And I know that, you know, the, the the way the media frequently, you know, describes the court is liberal versus conservative. conservative, but in that particular case, okay, and I'm not the only one who saw this. I mean, there have been a number of constitutional law scholars who are like, whoa, okay, <laughs> boy, Sotomayor and Kagan, okay, we're going toe to toe verbally, you know, they were just swinging at one another. And you got to read the footnotes. Because that's where they really slide in their dicks, <laughs> right? Okay, you know, that's how the justices really dig one another. Okay, they throw some stuff into the footnotes. Um, but yeah. Not quite yo mama, but pretty close. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> you know, that's about as close as the justices get to, you know, playground talking smack. But yeah. before we, before as we wrap up, I, we do need to note there were a lot of 9-0 and 8-1s. There were a lot of a lot of things where they came together as a court. Yeah. So this idea that somehow they're super hyper-divided, I don't think is accurate. Um, no. I think that that's people looking for a problem where there may not be one. Well, um, I mean, and, now, I'm not saying there are not strong feelings at the Supreme Court, and I'm not saying there are not some personal animus between some of the justices. But I'm saying that generally speaking – these came down um, in in large part as agreement among the court. 
yeah, this was it, our closest one was our last one. Yeah, in 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 and we've discussed this, Nia. Yeah. A lot of what the government does, whether we're talking about the Supreme Court, the executive branch, Congress, is non-controversial. Right. Right. Okay. I mean, there are thousands, if not millions, of decisions made every day in the federal bureaucracy that never find See the light of day. The, the, yeah, right? <laughs> okay. They're not, they're not okay. a big deal to anybody. No. Okay. And the courts are no different with that. Yeah. In the in, sense in, of in the media, middle management. <laughs> yeah. In, in, in the media, I mean, in, in, and I'm not being critical of the media because to a certain extent, they give us what we want to read and listen right. to. They focus on the controversy. They focus on the dirt. They focus on the, you know, on the conflict, right? On the conflict, right? Okay. Because in part, media conflict sells. Yeah. Conflict sells. I mean, media corporations are corporations. If you bought, would you buy a newspaper every day where it said at the main headline, everybody go on along and everything was fine? No, I wouldn't. Okay. I I don't read the, I don't read those articles. Nobody goes to the movies. And watches movies where nothing happened. Well, the French do, but the rest of us don't. <laughs> the rest of us want conflict, right? We want conflict and then conflict resolution. That's part of the human, yes, the human condition. Yeah, we want so, that. We, 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 sometimes we want I think that we look for conflict where there really isn't, there isn't any. any. And we also, I mean, there are other personal and ethical conflicts that we have on the court that are going on that are being worked out as as people f- figure out how they feel about those things and and that happens in in every workplace right, right? you know um how do i go ahead and manage this situation or this colleague so i can do a good job and i don't they get can in, do, a good, do job. a good job i don't get in their way and they don't get in my way etc Right. All, all that said, one one last note as we conclude. That said, the next episode, okay, might have an entirely different discussion. <laughs> okay, because again, as we've discussed in previous summer of SCOTUS, if you will, episodes, and now we're doing fall of SCOTUS. Yes, yeah, the fall of SCOTUS, but. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds wait. Okay, but the autumn of SCOTUS. <laughs> okay, the Supreme Court issues a lot of decisions middle end of June, and the reason why, in part, they take so long, is that as we discussed earlier in this episode, the justices are finalizing and working out the various opinions, and you're going to get more opinions in those closely decided cases right and so, more concurrences yeah, and more and dissents, more dissents. And, and yes okay um so they have a lot more to say about those cases yeah so it takes uh, longer to say it yeah um uh so you know so we'll get to we'll get yeah. to more gr- like grr stuff grr. yes yes as yeah. we go yes um, we mean, got the easier ones are easier for them to release Yes. So those tend to be the ones that come out earlier, and the gurry ones tend to come out later because gur is harder to manage. They have to get everybody's, they have to get everybody's contributions. They have to get all that stuff, and then they bail. Oh yeah, they, they do gr- a smart thing where where they, they, they do yeah, the, the yeah, they drop their West yeah, they, Wing take out the trash thing day where if they could get away with Friday afternoon at five o'clock, that's when they would release stuff. Um, but their release schedule tends to be Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Yes. And yep. what we'll see over the next couple of weeks is they'll release more stuff that's medium controversial, and then they'll le- release crazy controversial stuff, and then they'll leave town. Yes, they do. That is their norm. Which yep. is, a, you know, I mean, I don't know if it's the best way to handle it, but it's certainly right, their normalized way of handling it. Yep. So – but thank you. So I look forward to talking yeah. more with you about that, Augie, and especially for the Gur cases, because they're always a little more interesting and controversial and fun. Yeah, because I mean we're talking because about conflict. 
Yeah, we're talking about some hot button, if you will, political and legal issues. Yeah, I can't yeah. wait to find out about the admissions stuff. Yeah. I'm really curious about that because of higher ed and us yeah, being- you know, higher, you know, uh, affirmative action in higher ed. Yeah, um, we're talking about you know religious exemptions covered by um, uh, the 1964 Civil Rights Act. We got um, immigration. Yeah, we got, got an immigration case, case. coming. Yes, uh, we we've have, got uh, another same-sex couple with a website question like so it's the cake revisited right so we've got yeah we got some stuff you know stalking on facebook i mean i mean again these are all things in the news okay so thank you nia thank you augie You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.